Chapter 10 of Acts. Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people, and he prayed to God continually. Well, about the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze upon him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants, a devout soldier and those who were his personal attendants. And after he explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop and about the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there, and there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. A voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time, what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now, when Peter was greatly perplexed in his mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate, and calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you, but get up, go downstairs, and accompany them with misgivings. For, uh, without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for what you have come? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. So they invited them in and gave them lodging. Now on the next day, he got up and he went away with them, and, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. 
And on the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised up, saying, Stand up, I too am just a man. And as he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And they said to him, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit visit him, and yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. So I asked for what reason you have sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God that is to us who, are, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he had ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him, receives forgiveness of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who had, came, had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. 
for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. And then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. Heavenly Father, uh, reflecting upon your Holy Spirit coming into your, beginning your church, coming into the lives of believers, Jew, Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, God, your unpartiality with your gifting your believers with the Holy Spirit to empower them, to realize that great is you that lives in us than than he who lives in the world. God, that you've given us the discernment that comes not from self, but from your Holy Spirit. You've given us a body of believers to corporately worship in, and your Holy Spirit causes us to love and be more concerned about others than self. You've called us out of isolation into a body to, to walk and live and to serve and to be distinct, to be definable, uh, to be visible, Father. We thank you that you've made us a visible people here in Hood River. We pray, God, that uh, we live right, we live uh, as you call us to live, we emulate uh, all of your attributes that uh, humans are called to. So God, just uh, hear the message now. Speak through Jim in a powerful way. Open our hearts to receive truth. Uh, this is your truth. Um, this is your message. And we pray that we would just humbly receive it and give you great honor. In your holy name, amen. You may be seated. Forty-eight verses in forty-eight minutes, or more. It truly is a blessing. <clears throat> to be asked to engage in perhaps maybe a more circumspect. <clears throat> reading of Scripture, and allowing the, the Spirit of God to even refine me, as I pray He refines you. It truly is the work of the Spirit of God in your and my life. You see, if you're a real believer, <clears throat> then the Spirit bears witness with you. And so I trust that as we look at your word, 
uh, this morning that you will not only bless, but perhaps maybe convict, maybe move in a unique way um, to challenge you to be um, the people that you've been called to be. I want to begin, <clears throat> and, I, and I've got this up here, so <clears throat> at times my eyes get to watering, and since I got one that works well, <laughs> I might have to do a little wiping. And then there's also times where I get a little emotional. If you've been in my Bible study, you know that takes place, so bear with me. But before we get to Acts uh, 10, I'd like for you to turn to Acts 1.8. Because this is really where it begins. In verse 7, he says to them, and he's talking to his, uh, his disciples. It is not for you to know the times or epics which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And then Jesus leaves in verse 9. In our study of Acts, <clears throat> we've seen miraculous things take place. From the beginning of the New Covenant Church to the church undergoing persecution, seeing... Peter ministering to the Jewish nation and eventually as we see him now in chapter 10 recognizing that there's a bigger picture matter of fact Peter's on the verge of the remotest parts of the world but it takes him a while and along the way, <clears throat> I, would, I would have you perhaps uh, take uh, just a, a moment here <clears throat> as kind of a history run, and then we'll look at chapter 10. But if you were to follow along in the, in the context of the book of Acts, you would see Peter confronting the men of Judea and the men of Israel in both chapters 2 and three, and in doing so, the message is clear. He lays it before those individuals that you are guilty of putting the Savior of the world to death. Conclusion, repent, be baptized. We see a tremendous story where Peter heals, and then he's marched off to jail. 
goes before the court, and you're willing to put me in jail for healing? So there was some discussion. Peter had already kind of upset the Jews. And to follow the story through, we find that uh, Gamaliel steps in on Peter's behalf and he says, hey, you guys of the Sanhedrin, you might want to pay attention. Here's something to think about. If you do nothing, this guy will go away and so will all of his followers. But if he's of God, literally there's nothing you're going to be able to do to stop him. So they relinquish, they let him go. So Peter's back out on the road again. Marvelous. Stephen. We pick up the story in chapter 7. Probably the longest conviction towards the people of Israel. In chapter 7, verses 2 through 50, you see Peter unleashing a historical background. I don't know about you people, but if you look at the Old Testament quite a bit, remember this. How many times does God have to take the nation of Israel back to an event How many times does Paul in Corinthians say, do you not know? Do you not know? This is history. These people ought know. And yet, uh, Stephen does a masterful laying out of history. And in verse uh, 51, let me just go there. Quite impressive. 751. You men who are all stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who have received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Verse 54, now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Stephen, faithful to the call, to the purpose, to the message. One of the things that we discussed two weeks ago Monday night, maybe three weeks ago Monday night when we as elders were together, I just shared with Chris, I said, Chris, and Chris is really good, he says, would you, you guys kind of critique me at all? I said, let me just tell you, Chris, one thing. One thing that has impressed me so much, and it has enabled me to see things in Scripture that are there, just never took note of it. And Steve would be able to 
to verify that. I said, you know, the term you say, look at the language. Look at the language. How there's repetition or the language shares the same thing. You will see that if you read through the book of Acts. You'll see that today when we get into chapter 10. But there's Phil, or there's uh, Stephen. And then there's Philip. Whoa. Let's move over to chapter 8, verse 4. Because Stephen was stoned and put to death, it says, Therefore those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. Oops, that's right. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And he runs into, as he shares, he runs into this uh, guy named Simon who uh, wants to believe, but he doesn't want to possess. So much so that when Peter and John hear about Philip and Samaria, they come. One thing that's unique about Jews and Samaritans, no, 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 they don't, they don't mix. How can this take place? We'll see that when we get to chapter 10. So here he is. He's found there. <clears throat> and notice in verse 18 of chapter 8, as we kind of continue to run through this. If you back up to 17, here's the argument that uh, this Simon has. He says, uh, Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, Now when Simon saw the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of hands of the apostles, he offered them money. saying, give this authority to me as well, so that everyone whom I lay hands on may receive the Spirit. And look who stands up. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right, before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray that the Lord, if possible, the intention in your heart may be forgiven you. Again, opportunity for Peter, even in a exhorting way to Simon, offering the idea, again, of repenting and forgiveness of your sins go on just a little bit further <clears throat> and we see uh, it says this <clears throat> verse 26 of the same chapter but an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying get up and go you will see those words get up and go later as well language get up and go 
and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official at Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning to and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? He had invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before his shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or someone else? Notice. Then Philip opened his mouth and began from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And they went along the road and they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Peter, a faithful preacher, leading and showing scripture to the Ethiopian eunuch to where he receives Christ. You're familiar with this passage. <clears throat> but remember Saul. On his way to the Damascus, on the Damascus road, or Jesus confronts Saul. Saul, probably, in matter of fact, um, Paul testifies later in his letters to the church that he's probably the greatest of all the sinners. Persecuting the Jews, killing them. Matter of fact, it's taken place right here. The stoning of Stephen. It, it comes out there <clears throat> where Saul took... Uh... Now Saul, this is verse 9. And now Saul, still breathing threats of murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he could find anyone belonging to the way, both men and women might be brought to him or bound to Jerusalem. And then we see the great conversion in verses 4 through 6. I find it interesting that when God does business, he brings you to a point where you drop your knees, where you are 
pierced to the heart to where you recognize that it's something outside of your own that is bearing witness with your fallenness. So how does that play out in chapter 10 in Cornelius? Let's look. This will be kind of a quick run through. By no way is this an exhaustive exegete, but uh, much of it is narrative and much of it is repeated. Repeated for good reason. It's important. Make sure everyone has the clear message. Is this what you meant to say? or No, this is what took place. So let's look at it. So who is this uh, Cornelius? Who is this centurion of this Italian cohort? What are some of his qualities here as a respectful and devout person? It shares that in verse 2. He's a devout man, one who feared God with all of his household. He even gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. Sounds familiar. Could be a number of us. But what happens? About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw a vision of an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, (coughs) and fixing his eyes on him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who is speaking to him has left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants, And after he explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Let's kind of fine-tune this. One of the questions that I had here, why why was Cornelius received by God? In other words, why did the angel of the Lord come and speak? You might think he's a believer, but we find out later he becomes a believer. So all the qualifications that are listed in one certainly might allude itself to some preparation before the Spirit of God does its final work. I think of the four soils. And of course, there's only one soil that will produce, and it's the good soil. And I can pretty much imagine that Cornelius might have been part of that part of that field that had been plowed and prepared and perhaps through his prayer and through being a devout person, a person who feared and revered that God himself, bits and pieces of seed were hitting that fertile soil, and we see Cornelius to the point where what? Your prayers and alms have ascended. 
to touch a holy and mighty God. So there's a plan. Enter the second part of this. On the next day, as they were on their way approaching to the city, this is verse 9, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, but he became hungry and was desiring to eat, but while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky open up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by the four corners of the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures, of the earth and birds of the air. A voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, if I have, I have never eaten anything unholy or unclean. A voice again came to him a second time, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Verse 17. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what vision which he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. Do you know any of the history of relationships with Jews and then Samaritans? And now the house of Simon, a tanner? Dead things, unholy, unclean. And yet if you were to look at verse 43 of chapter 9, just back a page or maybe just across the page in your Bible. Notice in verse 42, and it became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. That was the ministry that he had there with, uh, but in verse 43 it says, and Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. Who would think that Peter, a Jew, would now be assembling, as we saw earlier, with Samaritans, with Philip, and now even a Gentile? But notice, verse 19, back in chapter 10, while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold! Three men are looking for you, but get up. There's that language. Go downstairs and accompany them without any misgivings, keyword. For I have sent them myself. Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one whom you are looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous man, God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to 
hear a message from you. So he invited them in and gave them lodging. I'm assuming that's Simon the Tanner's house. Because nowhere does it say anything else. Notice, as the verse continues, on the next day he got up and went away with him, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. So some of the Jewish people, some of the Jewish brethren people, went with Peter along with this one soldier and two, uh, uh, two others that uh, <clears throat> Cornelius had sent. Let's pick it up. <clears throat> it's a great story. On the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. That's interesting. When Peter entered, notice, Cornelius met him and he fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up saying, stand up. I too am just a man. And as he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or even visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any men unholy or clean. The picture of the, the blanket that came down with the creatures related to what? The things that you can eat, the things you couldn't eat. That which is discussed in the Old Testament. One of the great things about teaching biology, I spent a lot of time teaching a biblical perspective of creation and following that through. And it's interesting just the notation of those creeping and crawling and were all those that were apart from really the Spirit of God because they associated with feeding on dead things or being unclean. Truly amazing. And it's interesting in the taxonomy that science has, how so badly do they represent created order. It was a great study. And over the years, it would take me a semester just to go through that with my biology students. But I deemed it so important that we made that that effort. So it wasn't about it wasn't about dietary restrictions here. God's using this to show and make known there's clean and unclean, but notice did you catch the phrase um, <clears throat> there in uh, what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. And now the picture the picture begins to clear up in Peter's vision. You see, God had to prepare Peter to deliver this message just as much as he had to prepare Cornelius to receive it. Amazing. 
Well, let's stop here. When did that happen? When did that happen for you people? This is an orchestration. These are divine appointments. This is not happenstance. God's using two things here. He's preparing Peter to get over his issue with I can't associate with so-and-so and so-and-so and so because that's how I was brought up. God is destroying that barrier. And here, the centurion, being a faithful and devout person, is being prepared to really receive now the justification of the blood of Christ. But it's taken a while to get there. Um, <clears throat> says in verse uh, where was I here? Verse 28, just read that. <clears throat> Verse 29, that is why I came without even raising any objection because God had already began to do this work. And he unveiled that vision and literally allowed Peter to understand through the work of the Holy Spirit. He said, so I asked, for what reason have you sent me? In verse 29. And again, Cornelius says, hey, four days ago to this very hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here, present before God, to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. still orchestrating salvation and using Peter to deliver the message. So in verse 34, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus the Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed 
by the devil, for God is with him. Listen. Verse 39, we are witnesses of all the things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging on a cross. God raised him up on that third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen before beforehand by God. That is to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify of this, the Holy One who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. So Peter again takes them through a little bit of a history lesson. These are things you should know. People, there are things in the scripture that we should know. And we should act upon them. But this is what Peter is doing. He opened his mouth. And he shared... Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. We see that word earlier in the chapter as well. And then note in verse 45, all the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. How do we know that? For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. And then Peter answered, Surely, no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit, just as we, can he? Again, the question perhaps maybe still lingering, the partiality between Jews and Gentiles. Who's going to answer that question, as Peter says? But notice, verse 48, and he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to stay on for a few days. So let's just backstep a few minutes here. <clears throat> How does salvation unfold itself? That would be the question. As a matter of fact, it's unfolded itself the same way in the previous nine chapters. Just as we saw that God had to prepare Peter to make this transition, he also was preparing the hearer of the word, Cornelius. 
Well, salvation begins on God's part to bring about a preparation. Think back, if you can. How God found you and how you found God. Begin to backlog the orchestration of how God brought you to the point where you, like Saul, had a Damascus Road experience. For the first time in your life, you realized I was outside the kingdom of God. Praise God that he found you. And not that he found you, he prepared you so that when the Spirit of God tugged one more time at the most opportune time, at the divine appointed time, your heart was moved. Think back about that. You know why that's important? That's your testimony. The Jews had no testimony, so they had to rely on history. This is what God has done. Now it's personal here. And the Spirit of God is working on the hearts of man. And we see that there. The sovereign, sovereign preparation or preparation by God on his part is the first. Second of all, we see on both individuals here a submissive will. Okay, I can't do it. We see immediately Cornelius being obedient to what the angel of the Lord had said. And if you track those verses again, everything was just like that. A submissive heart. Understand a centurion is underneath authority. And yet he's over authority. There's those underneath him. Oh, he knew what position he was in. To a greater authority. And when you heard the voice of God. He listened. Peter, the same way, had to take a vision, had to take maybe prior experience when he was there in, in Joppa with Philip as he was dealing with that one Simon that was uh, an issue but so much so that Peter ends up staying at the Tanner's house. Unbelievable. But God was also in the means of prepping Peter. You know what? You and I have to be prepped every day. We have to be as prepared to be able to recognize divine appointments. Those who we come in contact with those who we might say this or that. You don't know. You don't know what seed you're dropping on a given day. 
Do we wake up in the morning praying for fertile soil? Oh, Lord, may I be a great testimony. May what I do in my actions and my deeds plant that seed in fertile soil? Do you pray specifically for fertile soil? Or just let me be faithful and throw the seed. You're going to waste 75% of the seed. Pray for fertile soil. That's what's taking place here. Submissive will. Even Peter, with his stubbornness to break from Judaism to now minister to the Gentile world. What's the salvation message? Well, you saw it. As he orchestrates that in verses 34 through uh, 42, he, 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 he counts it all. Talking about the we just sang about the power of the cross. Christ lived, he died, was buried, resurrected. If you go to 1 Corinthians 5 or 15, I think, verses 1 through 5, notice the message there is all about, as Scripture records it, listen, we were witnesses to this very thing. We were there. This happened. Of him and all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him, the Christ, receives forgiveness of sin. And immediately after that, while he was still speaking, the Spirit fell on them. Well, what about uh, now? How do we get? How do we get from there? <laughs> You've been given what? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God dwells in you and I as believers. Listen, if you you don't understand what that is, if you don't have the Spirit of God, guess what? You are not a believer. That's a solemn picture. But what does that mean, Jim? Or what does it mean to have the Spirit of God dwelling in, in you and I. Richly. We're going to come to the table soon. Scripture's clear that we ought to examine ourselves. So in light of just where you might find yourself today, <clears throat> I want the Scripture to be encouraging to you. And that's the only way in which we can encourage one another. But listen, I'd hate to have any one of you miss, miss the turnoff to the narrow gate and continue down the wide path that leads to destruction. That's the heart 
of your leadership team here. Our concern for all of you and for those who may not have ever committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the power of the Spirit of God was given. It fell upon them right there. <clears throat> what else is involved in salvation? Notice. Verse 47. Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have what? Received the Spirit just as we did. Can he? Who can refuse that? So in a symbolic way, baptism becomes a sign or an assurance of what took place. There's a new life. And it's been identified in the resurrection, death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Further proof? Notice what takes place. You have to understand. Remember, Peter was the tanner's house. Peter was called by God to go to Cornelius. He took about five with him, and the two others that Cornelius sent made their way back <clears throat> to Cornelius. He arrives at the house and he finds the house full of people. Unlike Peter. Talk about, he mentions it, a foreigner. And yet, God put him there and graced him enough to where Peter went faithfully. And notice at the end. And he ordered these people to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Following the baptism, those people then asked him to stay on for a few days. Wow. Can you imagine what that would have been like? Go back to Acts 2.38. Verse 37. Now when they had heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent. And each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why? For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, 
saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Verse 41. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. What are some of the characteristics of changed life? 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I know for Steve and for Chris and myself, that is our prayer. That you would continue to devote yourself to the teaching of God's word, to the fellowshipping of the one and others, to the breaking of bread, to the Lord's table, and to prayer. Oh, to see the dawn of the darkest day. Christ on the road to Calvary, tried by sinful men, torn and beaten then, nailed to a cross of wood. This is the power of the cross. Christ became sin in us, took the blame for the wrath. We stand forgiven at the cross. Powerful words from that hymn. Let's pray. Father God, may we continue to enter into our worship as, uh, as you instruct us to be faithful <clears throat> in uh, the Lord's Supper and taking the, the bread and the cup as a remembrance to the work that you have done and even as the hymn implies. Uh, it's all about the cross and the power that we receive through you, through the promise of the Holy Spirit that we can continue to do your work on your behalf. May we be the very representatives from uh, this um, embassy, as Chris would say, uh, to be the great ambassadors that share the truth, the same truth that has been given to each of us. I pray, Lord, that you would just continue to orchestrate in our own lives opportunities to be used even as you did some amazing work with Peter to accomplish even this challenge to Cornelius and to those who heard it, thank you for the outcome that uh, you had prepared beforehand, were faithful in carrying it out and able to reap the reward of those in salvation. Father, we would just pray that to be true here today, that if there is one uh, that needs to bend their knee. I pray that uh, 
you through the work of your Holy Spirit, bearing witness on that soul, would take part in that. Allow us now to um, be remindful of the reason in which we take the, the body and the cup as we do so in remembrance of you. Amen. <clears throat>